Today we're going to be looking at Psalm 8. Uh, Alex, uh, when he called me, said, uh, do you have a psalm that you could preach on? And uh, after 45 years, I thought I had at least one psalm that I could preach on. And so I have chosen Psalm 8, and uh, I would like for us to read it together, not out loud together, but uh, I'm going to be reading. Now, what I'm reading is going to be just a little different from what is up on the screen. I sent Alex uh, Psalm 8 in the NIV translation because that's the translation I use. Bless his heart, he changed it to the ESV. No, that's okay. I, I don't have a problem. You'll be reading uh, ESV up on the screen. Uh, I'll be uh, reading NIV uh, in front of me. But Psalm, 8th chapter, beginning in the very first verse. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The subject I want to talk about today, has someone stolen your identity? Some years ago, my wife and I went up to a family reunion in Colorado Springs where her sister and brother-in-law live. And while we were there, we went out to visit the Garden of the Gods. How many of you have been to the Garden of the Gods out there? Beautiful place to go. Well, the ladies did not want to carry their purses around them while we walked and visited the Garden of the Gods. So they put their purses in the trunk of my sister-in-law's car. And off we went on our walk. About an hour later, we finally came back. The ladies went, opened up the trunk of the car to get their purses, and lo and behold, the purses were gone. Somebody had stolen them. We still have yet to figure out how they got in the trunk. Nothing had been pried. Nothing was broken. The only thing that my sister-in-law had done is that little, you know, that little wonderful electronic key fob that when you walk up to the door of your car, it suddenly opens without a key or anything else. She had left that in her purse, which meant they probably were just able to simply open the trunk. Purse is gone. We weren't worried about the money. What we were worried about was that in those purses were Social Security IDs, Medicare cards, checkbooks with checking account numbers and our names and addresses and driver's license, what we were worried about was everything was in my wife's purse that could allow someone to steal our identity. Federal Trade Commission says that identity theft among people is one of the highest crimes. They say that approximately 15 million people a year have their identity stolen. I thought, wow, that's a lot of people to have their identity stolen. 
And the thing of it is, if someone is able to steal your identity and all the information related to you, uh, they can ruin your credit. They can wipe out banking accounts. They can wipe out your credit card because they just drain everything out by charging everything they can. And there are a lot of things that you may suddenly be unable to do because someone has stolen your identity. And I thought about that. And I came to a conclusion that there is another kind of identity theft that goes on. And sometimes for us as Christians, our identity gets stolen. David here, I, I think that David, uh, when he wrote this psalm, was reflecting on the fact when he was a shepherd boy, and he used to lay out at night as he was watching his father's flocks, and he would look up at the skies and see what only they could see in David's day with the naked eye, the array of stars and the moon. And he began to reflect on God's great creation. When Today we have space telescopes that show to us how many more galaxies there are than just our galaxy. And it, it begins to boggle the mind exactly how extensive the heavens really are. And David, as he thinks about that, he asks a question. Now, if you're looking at your Bible, he says in verse 3, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you set in place, he says, What is man? that you are mindful of him. David begins to think, good lands, when you think about what God has made, and I think about how you care about me, I begin to wonder why do you pay attention to me? And he begins to talk about who he is as a person and what his identity is. And there are about four things that David mentions as to his identity as a believer in God and as one of God's children. And the first thing he says is, you're mindful of me. Now, what does it mean to be mindful of me? It means you keep an eye on me. If you take your children to the park and you let them play, you keep an eye on them. You're being mindful of them. If your children are of such an age that they have a tendency to sometimes get into trouble, which of course I'm sure never happens with any of your children, and it gets really quiet around the house, all of a sudden you say, uh-oh, I better check and see what's going on. You are mindful of them. Well, David says, who am I, Lord? That you're mindful of me. You, Lord, look after me. You want to know what's going on in my life. The God who created this world is mindful of you, mindful of me, watches over us, pays attention to us. That's the first thing he says. Who am I that you're mindful of me? And then he says, you made him, verse 5, you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You made him. We are created. The book of Genesis says we have been created in the image of God. We have been 
made. I like to play around with woodworking. I say play around with woodworking because when I was in high school, I never took wood shop, auto shop, any kind of shop. I took all those courses they said you're supposed to take if you're planning on going to college, which was where I was planning to go. So when it came to all those wonderful uh, things that you can do with your hands, I didn't have any of those courses. But over the years, I knew that when I retired as a pastor, I wanted to have something to do. So I collected various woodworking tools. And they sat for a long time until finally I retired and I got to really begin to try and use them. And the word try is very operative there. I am still much, much of an amateur. But one of the men in our church, he could no longer use his mini lathe. He gave me, or he sold me his mini lathe and I started making pins. A side story related to your pastor. When he was helping our church uh, during COVID, I would go down and we would do a video. I was doing a study on the book of Amos and he was helping our sound people and our uh, uh, media people get things all set up. Well, one time I went down and said, uh, Alex, I would like to give you uh, something to say thank you for all that you're doing for a church. And I gave him a pen that I had turned. And he smiled and laughed because he said, that's what my dad and brothers do. They have a business doing that. Oh, well, you can have it anyway. Side note, but anyway, I got to where I did that, and now I'm trying to learn how to turn bowls, and uh, I'm just having a great time, but I make those things. They're not just something that accidentally happens. I make them. That's what David says. Another thing about us and our identity, we are made by God. And then he says, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Now, some translations, and especially King James used to translate that, you have made him a little lower than the angels. But the word in the Hebrew there is Elohim. Elohim is the word for God. And what David is saying is you have made him a little lower than God. Imagine that. There is God. And when God created us, the Bible says, created in his image, but made just a little lower. Our problem sometimes as human beings is we begin to think we are God rather than being lower than God. That that's another aspect of our identity. We have been made by God a little lower than him. And then finally he says in verse 6, you made him ruler over the works of your hands and put everything under his feet. And that means that God has made us a steward. We are to care for all that he has made. We are to take care of it and we are to be good stewards of it. And so here is what this psalm says about us and who we are. God is mindful of us. He pays attention to us. Two, we have been made by him. We are created, and being created means we have been created for a purpose. You don't make something without having a purpose for it. The pens that I make, I give away to people in our church. Every year we have a new chairman of deacons, I give him a pen. I give some Sunday school teachers pens. I give some of the other folks pens. I, I don't sell them unless somebody says, I'd like to buy that, and then I'll sell it to them. Uh, <laughs> Fine. If they want to buy it, I'll sell it. But otherwise, I just kind of give them away. But they are made for a purpose. And then finally, we are stewards. 
we are stewards of all that God has made. Now, one of the things I realize is just like we have to worry about somebody stealing our identity if they can uh, uh, hijack our computers or uh, get the information from our banks or some businesses don't protect all the information they have on us as consumers, all of a sudden uh, they can break in and steal our identity. And we live in a world which tries to take our identity as Christians away from us. One way is that people are saying, if they do not believe in a God who's created this world, they are saying, since there is no God, that means that this world and all that we see and all that is in it and the way that it has been made just accidentally fell into place. Isn't that wonderful? That's what I do. I take some lumber in my garage. I throw it up in the air, and all of a sudden, it comes out as a pin. <laughs> or it comes out as a bowl. Or it comes out as a little box. And we laugh at that. But if you do not believe in a God who has made this world, that is your option. Everything is here by accident. And if we are here by accident, now listen very carefully, if we are here by accident, we have no purpose. There is no reason to live. We forget that that is the ultimate conclusion of believing that there is no God. And all that there is came about simply by some big bang and it's here by accident an atheist philosopher put it this way he said without the assumption of a god the question of life's purpose is meaningless in other words when we ask the question why am i here if there is no god there is no good answer as to why we are here but if there is God, and there is, we have purpose in our lives. And that purpose is to say to God, God, here I am. You have created me. You have made me. What is it you want me to do with the life you have given to me? But they want to try and steal that identity from us when they say there is no God. Second, Here's one I like. How many of you take a magazine called Consumer Reports? Boy, I'm old-fashioned. I take that magazine. I've been taking it for 20 years. But it's, it's basically a magazine that says, we know as a person that you're going to go out and buy stuff. And so we're trying to help you. We have tested things, and we have been able to... Uh, tell you which ones might be the best, which ones for the money would be the best. You don't have to buy the most expensive. You can buy something a little less expensive, and it still be just as good. The issue I love to look at every year is the automobile issue. That one tells me, now I'm not worried about whether my car is the fastest on the road. At my age, I'm not worried about speed. I'm worried about comfort. That's where I am. But it will tell me which one's the most reliable because if there's anything I don't want to spend my money on is having to take my car into the repairman every month and spend a thousand dollars a whack every time I do that 
And so I always look at the reliability record for those automobiles and say which one is reliable. And so uh, that's why I often buy the car that I buy. But Consumer Reports has already decided that my role in life is to be a consumer. It is my role in life to spend money and to acquire things. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Is that the only purpose I have in life is to buy things? Now, there are things I need to buy. There are things I must buy. But is that the only reason I live is just to continue to get and get and get and accumulate and accumulate and accumulate? I don't think so. But the businesses want to convince me you need to buy more. Over the years, over the years I've watched, every once in a while the news will say, that people are not saving enough money to be prepared for retirement, or people are not saving enough money that if they had a catastrophe and they lost their job or their business suddenly uh, failed, they don't have enough money to at least be able to live for three or four or five months on what they have in their savings. They're not saving enough. And then six months later, You'll hear a news report that says businesses are concerned because people are not spending enough. And because they're not spending enough, the businesses are not making the profit that they need to make. And I think, okay, wait a minute. First, I'm not saving enough. Now, I'm not spending enough. And it all wraps around to the fact the world wants to convince me I'm a consumer. But the worst identity theft for Christians is the one Satan makes on us every once in a while. All of us as Christians know that there are times when we stumble, times when we are not all that Christ calls us to be. Every once in a while I hear somebody that I'm talking to about attending church, and they'll say, ah, that church is full of hypocrites. I know some of the things they've done. Well, the fact of the matter is there's not a one of us in here who at some time has not been the Christian that we want to be, that Christ calls us to be. We stumble. And when that happens, often what happens is Satan comes and Satan says to us, look, Christian, look what you did. Now, if you're really a Christian, you wouldn't do that. How can you say that you are a Christian and do that particular thing? And Satan starts to steal from us our joy, our happiness, our identity in Christ. And we forget that one of the things that has happened to us when we trust Christ as Lord and Savior, he gives us eternal life, and it is never gone. There's a passage over in the book of Romans, and I want to just share it with you very quickly. Paul writing in the book of Romans, beginning in verse 38, he says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, listen to the last part, nothing else will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you hear that? 
Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that means that when we as Christians do stumble, and we do fall, and we do make a mistake, and we do sin, that does not ever, not ever separate us from the love of God. We are his children and as parents you know what it means to love your child your child can do something wrong and you might be angry but they are still your child and you still love them never let satan try to convince you that when you stumble well apparently you're not really a christian that is not true i want to share with you a list of some of the things that the bible says about us as believers in Christ and about the church. Uh, we've got a slide up here. Got that, fellas? Let's put that list. Thank you. Okay. Calls us the assembly of the saints. All of us in here are saints. Amen? Not, some of you aren't quite convinced. But the truth of the matter is that we have been sanctified. That's where the word saint comes from. Sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is never taken away from us. So we are an assembly of the saints. We are children of God. John, the first chapter. We are friends of Christ. John, the 15th chapter. We are the body of Christ. Paul calls us in 1 Corinthians. We are chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special position, uh, possession in 1 Peter. We are a branch of God's planting. If you're a gardener, you know sometimes you take a branch uh, off of a tree and you plant it and it sprouts. We are a branch of God's planting. We are the bride. We are the wife of the lamb. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You guys, got, the day you got married, uh, you down at the front of wherever you were, church and assembly, uh, maybe it was an outdoor wedding, and as the bride came down, you saw her and you thought, wow, we are the bride of Christ. We are God's fellow workers over in 1 Corinthians. We are the children of God, Galatians 3. We are the chosen ones. Did you ever think about that? Jesus said one time, you have not chosen me, I have chosen you. Christ chose you. Christ chose you to trust in him, believe in him, and give your life to him. And he called you to him. We are the work of his hand. We are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. All through the Bible, and this is just a sampling of all the things that the Bible says that we are, but all through the Bible, we are reminded again and again and again of who we are in Jesus Christ. And we are never to let Satan steal that wonderful identity from us. We need to remember who we are so that we will stand against the temptations of Satan and what he tries to do to us. <coughs> Excuse me. I remember watching a movie some years ago. I'm a movie buff. I like to watch good movies. Back in 2005, there's a movie called Cinderella Man. Any of you ever see Cinderella Man? Yeah, great movie. It was based on a true story. It took place during the time of the Depression here in the United States about a boxer by the name of James Braddock. He's played by Russell Crowe. 
Braddock uh, had started out trying to be a fighter, and in one of his fights, he broke his hand. That put an end to his boxing career. Well, it was during the Depression, he was able every once in a while to get jobs as a longshoreman uh, down on the docks, but times were hard. Often, he wouldn't be able to get a job. I'm going to start losing my voice here. Uh, often, he wouldn't be able to get a job, and so ultimately, he had to begin to go on the dole, the welfare at that time, and received that, and it just totally embarrassed him. He hated that. Well, one day, his former boxing manager came to him and said, hey, there's a fight, and the man we had lined up to be one of the boxers uh, had to drop out. Would you be willing to do it? Well, Braddock needed the money, and so he decided he would do the fight. His wife was a little unhappy with him. Uh, that role was played by Renee Zellweger, I believe, and, uh, but he went ahead and did it wanted to provide some income for his family. He won that fight. Seemed like that while he had been working, he had been able to uh, get good use out of the hand that had not been uh, broken and um, had toughened it up. And so uh, he got an opportunity for another fight. Won that fight. Got an opportunity for another fight. He won that fight. He kept winning fight after fight after fight. And all of a sudden, the story came out. Here's this guy who, had, uh, in the midst of the Depression, having a hard time making it, uh, had, had to get hands out and uh, only got to work every once in a while. And, and all of a sudden, people started following him to see how his fights were doing. Part of New Jersey that he was from, uh, everybody else was in the same situation and not having much. And they just, boy, they, all of a sudden, they started watching him, seeing what he was doing and rooting for him. Finally, he kept winning fights so often that he got to where he got a chance to fight the champion, the boxing champion, a fellow by the name of Max Bayer. Max Bayer had a reputation of being very vicious. He had killed two other boxers in the ring with his viciousness. His wife wasn't sure she wanted him, but he said, honey, you know, win this fight and we're going to be able to take care of ourselves, and it'll take care of the family, and it'll take care of you. And so he takes the fight. Well, Bear, you know, he makes fun of Braddock all the time before the fight comes up, and finally the night comes for the fight. In the movie, the night of the fight, the wife shows up in his locker room as he's getting ready, and she tells everybody else to get out of the room. And she goes up to him. She looks him straight in the eye. And here's what she says. She says, so you just remember who you are. You are the bulldog of Bergen. You are the pride of New Jersey. You're everybody's hope. You're the kid's hero. And she pauses. And she looks at him and she says, and you are the champion of my heart, James Braddock. Well, like any good movie, he wins the fight. Now, the fact of the matter is, this is history. He beat Bear and becomes the champion. Some years later, he lost to Joe Lewis. But during that time, he was able to take care of his family, build a house, and he began to pay back what he had taken from government funds when they were helping him. 
And I thought to myself, when I saw that, you need to know who you are. Because sometimes Satan comes and Satan says, you're weak. We see, I may be weak, but my Savior is strong. He is the one who strengthens me. He is the one I rely upon. I am his child. He will never leave me. He will never desert me. Listen, I hope that today you can say, I am a child of God because I have trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I now belong to him. And it may make me stumble every once in a while as I try to live for Christ, but my Savior says, you're still my child. I'll never let you go. I'll never desert you. You are mine. You are with me, and I am with you forever into eternity. Do you have that kind of assurance that you are made in the image of God? You are created for a purpose, and you are living out that purpose as you have surrendered your life to Jesus. Let's bow together in a word of prayer today.